Hello, all of you beautiful people. Welcome back to another episode of Correct Me If I'm Wrong. As always, I'm your host, Gregory Tyler. Let's get a little silly and just dive right into it. So, I'm going to start with giving a little life update. I wasn't planning on this being a regular thing, but I feel compelled to give some updates since um, this is just my therapy session, and I'm going to stay true to that. And I always, you know, have my rosebud and thorn, and the thorn always seems to be unresolved things. So I just want to keep everyone updated on if and when anything is being resolved. But anyways, to start out, I want to say that uh, it really took a lot to get ready to record today because I was a fool and rewatched the series finale of The Office and it gave me some extreme nostalgia and made me miss all of my Dunder Mifflin buddies and I was spiraling for a little bit but I pulled myself out of it because when life gets hard you just gotta tell jokes to strangers on the internet in podcast form to make yourself feel better so that being said my mood is uplifted I'm not sitting here crying about the office ending. I promise I'm ready to rock and roll. Update on my room. (sighs) She still ain't fixed. It is still exposed carpet, stinky padding, and wet towels. The handyman was actually supposed to come yesterday and maybe fix it. I don't even think he can fix it, but it doesn't matter because he ultimately bailed. Um, without giving me or my roommate much heads up, he just texted a couple hours later. He was like, sorry, um, I was busy. So, room, still not there. Luckily, the weather is warmer, um, and I have to keep my window open at all times for the smell, so most of the water is dried up now. So, you know, silver lining, gotta find the good things. Hopefully, it'll just resolve itself Or maybe the carpet fairies will show up and put in new carpet overnight and I won't have to move all of my stuff. So, fingers crossed for that. Also, an update on my parking ticket. I I called the court this week and the lady got really annoyed with me because I kept asking for quote-unquote legal advice. I didn't mean to, but I just wanted to know what would be the best way to go about not paying my ticket. And, you know, she works for the court and I'm assuming my parking tickets directly pay for her salary. So I understand that she didn't want to be uh, very helpful. But, um, you know, I got it done. Now I have to I have to make a written statement to the court convincing them to take away this ticket because I was, in fact, blocking my own driveway. So I guess I'm basically a lawyer now. So call me Lawyer Greg. But fun fact, I actually sat for the LSAT and applied to some law schools. Yeah, that's right. I was almost a lawyer. But uh, I decided that telling jokes would be more beneficial to me. And my parents were super thrilled about that, as I'm sure you can guess. But enough of that. The past is the past. I'm not a lawyer. I will not be graduating from Harvard Law anytime soon. So... Whatever. <laughs> Anyways, enough of that. Let's just uh let's dive in. 
on Rosebud and Thorn. This week was uh, honestly pretty chill. There wasn't a lot of crazy happenings. Um, you know, COVID is still a big thing in Seattle, so I'm not able to really be out and about getting into a whole lot to come up with some some more uh, entertaining rosebuds and thorns, but that's all going to end soon because my rose for this week, it's a little bit of a two-parter, but um, come June, almost all of the COVID restrictions will be lifted in Washington, but more importantly is that I found out this week that Las Vegas is now totally open and mask-free, baby. That's right. If you want to catch COVID, head on down to Vegas. Just kidding. Not judging anyone because I'm going to be getting down there. Um, and if you couldn't tell by how I was immediately open and willing to dumping money into crypto without doing any research, I love to gamble. I like to think I'm a responsible gambler though. I usually don't lose too much money. Um, and no one in Vegas has ever like handed me one of those black gambling addiction pamphlets. So I think I'm doing okay. I think like overall I break even, you know, I make some money and lose some money, but I have a good time. Always have a good time, but I haven't been to Vegas and man, like I think over a year and a half, either way, it's been way too long. And I'm going to have a lot of time this summer, so I'm, uh, I'm scheming. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get uh, get down there, take a little trip. Maybe get some of the boys together and go spend it up. Um, and if you've never been to Vegas, I would highly recommend going. You're either going to absolutely love it or hate everything about it and just think it's the devil's playground. But every time I've been there, it's been fun, but something crazy truly does always happen i i'm convinced you can't go to vegas without there being like some pretty major events that you're just like holy guacamole that was wild like last time i was there there was a huge earthquake that had like the whole resort shaking and people were running for cover and screaming and it was it was pretty intense at first when it happened i thought i was just passing out <laughs> from you know, being in Vegas for a couple of days, but, uh, thankfully it was just the ground shifting and not me losing consciousness. So that was great, but it was pretty wild for a little bit. It was actually during the, the summer league basketball for the NBA. So they had to like stop some games because of the earthquake, but it was really cool because all like all over the city, I was just running in to NBA players at the casinos and just able to like chat some of them up, them up. And at one point, I was actually close enough to take a sip out of Buddy Heald's drink at a Meek Mill concert. Um, so that was cool. I think I think that really says more about his status than mine, though, um, because I don't know why he was near me or like in the same section as me. But I mean, I guess it is Buddy Heald. It's not like he could have been in the same section with Anthony Davis and Ben Simmons. Um I'm sure he was sore about the invite, but I was I was stoked to be spending time with him. Um, spending time with I didn't even talk to him. It's not like we were there together, but it was fun. It was fun. Um, but like I said, excited for Vegas silliness. Um, yeah, catch me on the strip, 2021 20, summer.
It'll be great. Moving on to my bud. This one, this one jumped out at me the second I saw it. Um, I'm looking forward to the new who saw movie that's coming out. It's called Spiral because obviously it can't be called Saw 19 or whatever movie they're on in this franchise, but I'm still excited because it's got some big names in it. Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson are headlining this film and I, I have no idea how they got them. Well, they probably got them because they threw all of their budget at actors. So it's, it's going to suck. But it'll be fun to see a couple A-listers get brutally murdered by Jigsaw's seventh apprentice or whatever. So I'm excited for that. And obviously I'm not excited because it's, I think it's going to be a good movie. I'm sure it won't be great. But it's exciting because it's going to be a fun movie to watch and make fun of. That's a new hobby I think I'm sliding into is taking chances on really bad movies just to make fun of them. Like I know I'm not going to appreciate it so I know exactly what I'm getting into and it makes bad movies more palatable to watch. But uh, another thing I love about Spiral is that they're marketing it as a chapter from the quote unquote book of Saw. Like what does that even mean? They're talking about this franchise as if it has as many followers as the Bible or something. That like everyone out here is stoked for more Saw. I mean, maybe they are. Maybe they are. What do I know? I'm not connected to everyone. And I don't want to dump on Saw too much because I grew up on the original four movies. Which sounds really ridiculous now that I'm saying that out loud. But man, Saw was like the forbidden fruit for kids growing up my age. We weren't completely tainted by the internet yet, so we had to rely on Lionsgate producing these just torture films. And I I feel like they were doing it on purpose. I remember Saw, oh, I forget which one it was, four or five was the first R-rated movie that I got to see in theaters. I was 17 years old and I went to see it in theaters. My parents weren't thrilled about it, but my brother took me and you know, we just sat there for two hours and watched everyone get brutally killed. And I just thought it was like so deep, like how they connected all these movies together. Young little silly Greg. But man, yeah, I remember staying up half the night as a like kid, probably in like middle school to watch the original three in my room on a portable DVD player. That's right, we had to struggle back in the day, folks. We didn't just have our smartphones and YouTube and whatever else the kids are doing, TikTok for our entertainment. We had to fire up the portable DVD player. That bad boy, you would have to roll over really quick because your parents were coming in and it would be like skipping and get all messed up. It was a struggle, you know? Those were the days of not having easy access to the Wi-Fi. So what we did is we hid under our covers and watched borderline snuff torture films on portable DVD players. Um, and yet here we are being productive members of society. <laughs> Anyways, enough about Saw. I don't know, Spiral, I'm gonna go see it. Uh, I hope you guys go see it and we can all make fun of it together. We'll bring Saw back, you know, four more years, four more years. 
four more Saw films. All right, my Thorn. This week's Thorn was actually completely self-inflicted. I 100% knowingly and willingly did this to myself. I decided to watch Under Siege. Yep, that's right. The 1992 Steven Seagal film, Under Siege. If you're not familiar with this movie, um, and I hope you're not, to be completely honest, it's about a Navy ship that gets hijacked by terrorists. And there's a cook on board, Steven Seagal, um, and a stripper who is stranded on the ship, and they have to save the day. So growing up, my dad was a big time Seagal guy. Like, I've seen way more Steven Seagal movies than I'd like to admit, but not once have I seen one as an adult. And like, I remember thinking they were silly as a kid. I think like fun because it was like crazy action and fight scenes and, you know, there was cussing and kissing. And so it was, you know, it was cool as a kid, but as an adult, oh man, brutal, brutal. It was hard to watch, but I just, I couldn't turn it off. It was like, like seeing a, a car wreck or a woman breastfeeding on the bus. You know, it was just hard to look away. Uh, I mean, and again, some of the action was okay. I mean, Steven Seagal does always look like he's in slow-mo. And so it's just like 17 cuts per guy he beats up to make him look less slow and fat. But man, it was the quotes that were just killing me the entire time. And of, of course, all of the good ones were between... Steven Seagal and the female lead who was the stripper who like of course they become love interests by the end of the movie but some of the stuff he was saying like Seagal brutally takes down like four guys in front of her and the stripper looks at him and goes you're not a cook and Seagal straight face looks back at her and goes yeah well I also cook like what does that even mean, bro? So serious. And like he did all of this thinking that he was just the man. The man. But he keeps going. Then a little bit later, she tells him, she goes, I hate being alone. And again, straight faced, turns around, snaps at her. Do you hate being dead? Like what? Unrelated. So unrelated. But man. It was, he was just Mr. One-Liner, like the whole movie. Just, just so quick. Um, Steven Seagal, no, I can't even jokingly compliment you. It was brutal. It was brutal. The one-liners were rough. And then like Gary Busey is a complete maniac the whole time in this movie. Like it was, I remember thinking for the first 20 minutes of the movie, I was like, wow. It was like, this is the most normal Gary Busey has ever been in a film. And then boom, all of a sudden he's like cross-dressing and dancing on a bunch of the sailors. And you're like, there he is. There's Gary Busey. And then he's got some great lines, but um, more of the story is, is I stayed up way too late trying to get through this movie. And I was exhausted the next day for like, for no reason, because I, I mean, for a reason, because I stayed up to watch, under siege until like 1 30 in the morning hoping 
that the end would justify the means, but it did not. So uh, I cannot in good faith recommend this movie, but if you do end up watching it, you, you will learn something. You'll learn something about yourself by, by the end of it. So um, good luck if you decide to take that journey. All right. History time, y'all. So for this week's This Day in History, I went with May 14th, a big day in history, as every day is, I guess. But this day, May 14th, was the day that Lewis and Clark set out on their expedition of the Louisiana Territory. Now, this is a topic everyone should know at least the basics about, right? Because I swear this is the only history related thing I learned about from kindergarten to like seventh grade. It was just Lewis and Clark and Thanksgiving. That was it. So I wanted to take this lovely opportunity to talk about some of the lesser known tidbits of the expedition. Like for example, how venereal disease was a huge problem for the Corps of Discovery during their trip. Where was that coming from, you ask? Well, the expedition was all guys, and the only people they came in contact with were the Native Americans. So there's really only two roads to go down with this information, and I will leave it up to you to decide what, you, what way you want to go. But either way, I find it humorous that venereal disease was one of their biggest struggles. But, interestingly enough, only one person died throughout the whole trip, you know, the trip there and the return trip, and it wasn't from syphilis or anything. It happened to be a ruptured appendix. Only like three months in, which that really sucks because there's not, you know, like anything... You could, I mean, I guess I don't, I'm not a doctor, but I'm assuming at this time there wasn't really much they could do for a rupture. I mean, obviously there wasn't because it was, you know, the early 1800s and I don't think they were doing anything to save him. I mean, he died, so they didn't save him. But other than that, there was no deaths throughout the whole expedition, but there was one other fairly major injury to occur. And this happened on the return trip when one of the men somehow mistook Lewis for an elk and shot him right in the booty. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. This is reminiscent of another political figure's uh, hunting mishap. So who knew that Dick Cheney's great-great-grandfather was actually part of the core discovery? You know, it had to be him, right? I hope so. I, I love when history just works out like that. I'm sure it's not. Don't quote me on that, but it'd be great. Um, and so b before the trip, they obviously had to gather supplies. I mean, this was a long journey. It took them like over two years. So they needed books on botany, you know, plants and zoology to to learn about the, and the animals they were going to come across and guns, munitions, fishing and hunting gear and medicine. So that was all the stuff they gathered for themselves. Um, but they also gathered some gifts for the Native Americans that they knew they would encounter, such as beads or 
brightly colored cloth, face paint, tobacco, and mirrors. How interesting. I love that Lewis and Clark thought that the natives would rather have arts and craft supplies instead of guns and medicine. They're like, ah, oh, your people are dying of smallpox and measles. Here's some pretty beads to make friendship bracelets. <laughs> you gotta love Manifest Destiny. Oh man. But the core of Discovery is the name of their, you know, their troop. Um, they only had a budget of $2,500, which I don't, I don't know. That's probably quite a bit for early 1800s. But uh, Lewis used $20 of it to buy a dog to bring along. You know, super cute. But when you read in to the history of what was going on, it's also very distressing because it is fairly well documented that most of the men preferred the taste of dog meat over deer meat. And they actually ate a lot of dogs over the duration of the trip. Um, it's estimated that it was actually over 200 dogs which is extremely distressing because where were they finding these dogs? I don't know. Hopefully they didn't eat Lewis's dog because, you know, he spent $20 on it. And I'm sure that was a lot. Uh, another funny thing leading up to uh, this expedition was that Thomas Jefferson had some really crazy ideas about what they were going to find on their little journey. He was legitimately concerned that the expedition would encounter woolly mammoths and giant sloths as if there's just these prehistoric or whatever i don't know the time frame but just these behemoth animals roaming north america um he also was convinced they were going to find a giant mountain completely made out of salt not completely sure why but uh that's what he was hoping for Obviously, uh, there were no mammoths, but the guys were introduced to grizzly bears, which is probably way more scary than a mammoth anyway. I mean, I'm sure they knew about like black bears for being on the East Coast, but then all of a sudden you run into like a 600 pound grizzly bear. No, thank you. Uh, count me out, Lewis and Clark. I'm sorry. Now this one, this is my favorite fact about the expedition. Lewis and Clark, by recommendation of doctors, brought extreme laxatives that they had forced all the men to take to help them digest the nine pounds of meat that they ate every day. That's right, nine pounds of meat I can't even begin to imagine eating that much meat every day. Even one day, let alone every day for months. That's like eating 36 hamburgers every day. Every day. And if that's not enough, it gets better. These laxatives were actually laced with large amounts of mercury. And when I say large amounts, I mean they were 60 percent mercury there was actually so much mercury in these tablets that researchers were able to trace the original path of the core of discovery by following mercury levels in the soil so these dudes were 
eating and consuming so much mercury and pooping it out that they could literally be tracked. It is honestly a miracle that only one guy died. But hey, I guess they were really just built different back then. They're just like sucking down mercury, fighting bears, and braving the wilderness. The men... And the expedition nicknamed these tablets Thunderclappers. And I love that no matter what time period you're in or where you are, men will always find a way to make jokes about poop. So if you get anything out of this, I hope it's you remembering Thunderclappers. I know people will lose their minds if I do a Lewis and Clark segment without talking about Sacagawea a little bit. So here we go. This is one of the happier moments in Sacagawea's life because overall it was not super great Um, because she was actually kidnapped and taken away from her people and she ended up marrying a Frenchman not uh, by choice, but because he uh, he won her in a game of cards. So who knows how she felt about that? Probably not super great. But um, she ended up, you know, linking up with Lewis and Clark and she traveled with them and she hadn't seen her family in five years. But while she was with the Corps of Discovery, she ends up running into her brother, who is now the chief of her tribe. Talk about full circle, you know, major come up for the brother. Um, I don't know why she didn't decide to just stay there with them. She went about, I guess, working with Lewis and Clark some more, but yeah, at least she was able to, you know, have some contact with her family again. So we love that. Um, but probably the most wholesome thing to come out of all of this was after Sacagawea passed away, Clark actually adopted and raised her son. So, you know, how can you not love that? We love a, a good happy ending for Sacagawea's son. But that's about it. That's all I've got for Lewis and Clark. There's so much more. There's fun facts everywhere, so... Go check it out if you aren't already burned out from it from your fifth grade teacher in your ear about it. Second event of this day in history on May 14th. Hold on, I got to double check my date here because I don't want to be wrong on the year. May 14th, 1948. Israel declares independence from the UK. So... <laughs> The history of Israel is long and complicated, and I didn't feel prepared to tackle all of that, especially considering everything that's going on with Palestine and Israel. I'm just not going to get into that beef because I'm dumb and shouldn't have an opinion on it. All I know is that they are fighting, and I'm pretty sure that the winner has to fight Jake Paul. So... I don't know anything about that. People are going to get upset with any idiot opinions I have. So instead of going down that road, I wanted to just highlight how many countries have actually declared independence from the UK because it is an astonishing number. So it's 
it's a little confusing because there's like countries that have fully had independence and countries that were kind of like proxy ruled. But generally, there are over 60 countries who have gained independence from the UK. So basically, these guys were just really good at ruling over other people. But it kind of makes sense that they would want some uh, some other territories considering they just live on this gloomy, rainy island. You know, you might as well have some vacation colonies. But it aged poorly, that thinking, and um, now everyone really looks down on them for it. And here we are making fun of them. But, of course, the U.S. started the trend because we weren't having none of that. But after that, the ball just kept rolling. Major snowball of independence. And as I was going through the list, it didn't even make sense for most of these countries to have ties to the UK. I mean, like Israel, for example, someone explained that to me. Like, why was the UK given like the opportunity to take charge of Israel? I don't know. It doesn't make sense. But here are some of the other countries that surprisingly had to gain independent or yeah gain independence from the uk the first one afghanistan in 1919 what in the world were they doing in afghanistan who knows but they were there australia australia in 1901 which is shocking because australia is like a hundred times bigger than the uk and so i don't i don't know uh, the Bahamas, I get that one. Like, who doesn't want to go to the Bahamas? I would love to be able to go to the Bahamas without a passport. You may even, don't even need one. I don't know. But Bahamas, 1973, got their independence. And I'm not even going through all of them, ladies and gentlemen. I am just skipping around. Uh, Belize in 1981, like, shockingly recently. But here we are. Uh, Canada, another one that's like, why did that take so long? 1867. Come on, Canada. Like, that's kind of why y'all got the reputation that you got. Um, what else do we have? Egypt. Hmm. 1922. Egypt finally breaks away from the UK. Good for you, Egypt. Ghana in 1957. Good for you. The Gambia in 1965. Fiji. The UK was down there trying to get that good spring water, but Fiji said, nah, not today. Uh, these ones always get me. I mean, this one's well known, but India in 1947. Um, a lot of these ones were in the 40s. Israel, 1948. It seems like the end of World War II um, could have been better if, you know, in the eyes of the UK, uh, they lost a lot of territory. Um, Iraq independence from the uk another one mind-boggling jamaica kenya kuwait like what is going on here how did they even they how did they even have enough people to handle all of this territory new zealand pakistan apparently the uk just owned the middle east you know from egypt all the way to india they had afghanistan pakistan kuwait this Qatar, goodness gracious, they were on a mission trying to literally conquer the world. The United Arab Emirates in 1971, 
man, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Yemen, they over 60 countries. That's a ton. I don't know how they got away with it for that long. They were really out here just trying to take over the world. I mean, I guess somebody's got to do it. For being honest, I'm looking forward to see who's going to lead the next attempt of global domination. I need Vegas to drop the odds on that. I'll bet on it. Am I a degenerate? Maybe. Maybe someone should give me the gambling addiction pamphlet, but I want the odds. Is it going to be the U.S.? China, maybe Russia, or is North Korea going to pull off that underdog upset? You know, in the nuclear era, anything can happen. So let me know who you guys got on the next attempt at global conquest. Uh, Oh boy, I should, I should probably wrap it up before I go any further with uh, that thought. But anyways, this has been another episode of correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, if you like what you heard today, be sure to go and check out the site wavypack.com because there are tons of other talented people creating content over there that I'm sure you'll love. I mean, I'm a broken record at this point, but you know, articles about shoes, basketball, fashion, architecture, we have playlists, album reviews, There's everything there. Something for everybody. So get over there. Show us some love. And hey, I appreciate every last one of you. Thank you so much for listening. And stay wavy, folks. Bye.